And welcome back to the New Republic podcast. We're on episode seven. Very exciting. We've got a lot of stuff to talk about. And if you haven't heard us before, this is the only Australian podcast that is dedicated to everything, experimentation, personalization, and that ugly word, CRO. And I've got my, uh, my very good friends with me today. Jess from NIV, say hi. Hi. And I got Richard, uh, the evangelist from Optimizely. Hi. And... Our very special guest, Joel, from that little digital startup called Airtasker that everyone has seen all over their TVs. Hey. So, Joel. So, today's discussion, we're going to take a bit of a left turn. We're not really going to focus on experimentation from a marketing perspective. We're really going to talk about how does experimentation come into product design. So, a lot of people in uh, recently that I've talked to in product teams are really looking at how can experiments help them design better products, create better customer experiences, help with retention, uh, ideate new ideas. And I know the guys at Airtasker have been doing a lot around this. So Joel, I'm going to throw it to you. Do you want to maybe for everybody who's listening is do a little intro on yourself and how you fit into the Airtasker world. And then how does your experimentation program and the product design team come together? Yeah, so, uh, so I'm Joel, a growth PM at Airtasker. I've been with the company for about three and a half years now in various different PM roles. And about, I would say, two years ago, I made the move from like a traditional PM into a growth PM, which at Airtasker was a completely new thing. We didn't really have any kind of growth function before that. And there wasn't really any... No one really knew what experimentation was in the business. It was kind of just like this word that people had heard um, and something that the CEO, Tim, was really excited about bringing into the company, but no one had any idea what, what to do with it. So it was kind of uh, my responsibility then just to build this uh, experimentation culture in the business. So we started off just with real simple things like, landing pages and stuff like that. So anything in kind of the logged out experience until we earn the trust of the rest of the business. So we were able to experiment within the actual product. So, yeah. So you, you started on landing pages really around logged in environment, logged out environments or pre login environments. And then you got into product design. How did you guys start in your product design journey with experimentation? Like, did you, like you said, you earned the trust, right? So did they go, you can only play, on this page and with this CTA, that's only like, is that how it started? Or they're like, Originally, come up with a bunch of ideas. Like how do they, how do they, you know, give you the, the baby and go, okay, do what you got yep. to do. So once we kind of proved out to them that experimentation was uh, something that actually worked, we were allowed to start venturing into the product and we were kind of handed a couple of funnels that uh, it was like, well, go do your magic in these areas on the app now. And so the first one was the post task flow, which is the flow of the funnel that everyone uses when they're actually posting a task. So the demand side of the marketplace. And so we kind of optimized in that for, for quite a while. And then again, earned some more trust, uh, some more respect for experimentation and started moving into the assign flow. So actually making sure that someone chooses someone to do their task for them. Um, so basically it was, we identified these areas as, um, areas that had the biggest drop-offs and 
the biggest opportunity for improvement. And so that's how we started uh, experimenting in there. From there, it really kind of grew within the business and other teams started taking it on kind of the approach of experimentation. So even if they weren't running an experiment, like a, a formal experiment, they were still thinking in that way of how can we test this hypothesis as quickly as possible without having to build a full feature for six months and get it out there. Yeah, right. And how many tests did you lose before you really started to earn it? Like, did you end up going, oh yeah, that's that's just oh God, another losing test. I'm really losing some face here. Like, did that, did that happen at the start or were you like just banging out winners from the day you walked in? So we got lucky at the start because the landing pages were so neglected. There was a lot of low hanging fruit. As soon as that was over, that's kind of when we started moving into product. And I realized that actually experimenting in product, especially a marketplace product, was so much harder than doing landing pages because you've got, there's so many different variables to take into consideration, especially with our platform. No one uses it for one purpose. You've got removalists, you've got tradies, you've got people doing websites. And so all those guys want different things. Yep. So yeah, it was, it was pretty hard. We went, we were on a roll of, I think like six losers, I guess we don't call them losers. Um, of course in not. Business. They're like, exactly. Exactly. It's um, it's a frowned upon word. Um, but if you wanted to look at it as success and lost, then, they were definitely losses um, for us, but, um, but we learned so much from those and we yeah. took everything we, we learned from them and really put them into our next experiments and that really helped us get some winners. Yeah, I've been, um, I've been really passionate about this thing that I found, Rich, I'd love to hear your voice on this, but started realizing that when you do experiments, there's a political side to experimentation as much as the act of experimenting. It's like, how do you, how do you frame the fact that the test lost and how do you get people to be interested in what they've learned jess before i go to you rich because i know you're sitting up because you got comments on this one before i go jess did you find like you're are you testing within the product as well or are you still on the marketing side of it yeah we're definitely testing uh in the product itself i was thinking about this conversation before coming in and we've actually started testing in the products that we sell and the actual digital product itself. So we're able to kind of see the impact of some of the product changes that we sell um, and how they impact people's journey on site, as well as kind of, like you said, Joel, with the delivery teams, how might we test this before we send it live? and make sure that all the bugs and things like that are out of the way. So yeah, we're definitely testing all of these different areas to kind of try and validate our thinking or our uh, user research before we build it in full. And are you, are you, did you have a similar journey? Like, did you go, we've got to earn some trust and then get in there and go, right, how can I get some more trust now that I'm in here? Or was it like they just knew they needed help? Yeah, so I think once uh, the delivery teams in particular were bought into what was available in our experimentation program, they are now coming to me saying, can you help us roll out this new feature? Um, we need support from you around how we might approach it. We're involved in that kind of product discussion around how might we see the impact of changing the products that we sell so yeah it was more it was definitely um, building a profile within the business and then as soon as we've brought more people from those different teams um, onto the journey they're uh, now 
understanding how we can assist in, you know, proving out whether people want to um, have that change to our product um, or, or whether or not our, what people say they wanted matches what they actually do. Yeah, I've, uh, I've been involved in that a lot. So Jess, that was a really interesting comment. Can you tell us more what you mean about the difference between what people say they will do and what they actually do? Right. So over time, we've got better and better at validating ideas before we start experimenting. And a lot of our ideas are coming from uh, user testing, user research. So we might have a concept that we put in front of many users and that gets we end up with a version of that that is the best based on what these users are saying that they will want to interact with or there might be a question that they want to be asked before they see a price and what we've found is that when we're building out experiments to test out how this is in real time with more users we've seen that actually what we've learned about what people say that they want isn't really what they need in terms of progressing through our, our purchase funnel. Yeah, I call it, I kind of see it as a quantitative study on a qualitative study. And I generally find, and this is what my, I, I think qualitative, qualitative studies are great, but if they're not supported with some kind of quant, it's a false economy. You put someone in a room, you ask them a question, they're going to answer you and they'll an generally answer the way you want to what you want to hear yeah. but when you do these quant studies you get something totally different out of it it's so actually you... really difficult in terms of trying to bring in all of this knowledge that you have from a ux perspective and then you think it's the best version of something and as yes. you're testing it it's kind of not validated with the audience that you have and yep. i think that's probably one of our key frustrations at the moment is trying to understand well what are breaking that down and being able to review kind of from a behavioral perspective what the reason for that difference is I, I i can hazard a guess on this like a lot of the work that i've done especially in ux what i find is when you when you show someone something completely innovative different to anything they've done before they generally will dislike it because they don't understand it they can't understand how it works and so it's like that steve jobs analogy around if I gave you something that you didn't know, you're not going to accept it. I've just got to I, like, he, you know, he was famous for saying, fuck user testing, like just go out and develop something and put it in the world and they, and people will adopt it. So I think there's a bit of that, like in, when you're doing user experience design from more of a conceptual, there is a bit of like, you can't take on user data because they can't comprehend what the future looks like. They just know what the problem they want to solve tomorrow. And so sometimes experimentation will deliver a different outcome to what a qualitative study does. Rich, you work with heaps of product design companies, man. Like I know like a big part of what you do is around that full stack offering that you guys have. What is the stories you're hearing here common or is there a twist to this that, you know, we haven't talked about? So yes, we're working with, in fact, the fastest area of growth in Optimizely is product and engineering teams that are doing experimentation within the product and feature development lifecycle. So that's the fastest growth area. Um, so we're seeing huge amounts of stories and it's not just, um, I'm a high tech company like Airtasker where my product is digital. Um, it's also more traditional organizations that are seeing that they have digital products as well. 
mm. um, or even retail organizations where their e-commerce site can be considered a digital product. So mm. it, it really does go across the spectrum of businesses. The stories that we've heard so far are how can we test what we already think we're going to build? Um, and that's incredibly powerful and we would like to see every organization doing that. I'm building a feature and when I launch that feature, I am seeing my customer's behavior just for the impact of that feature to understand if it's working or not. So yeah. every organization should be doing that. Um, where we see it get even more powerful is if organizations are using this to determine whether or not we should have built the feature in the first place before we invest the engineering effort. So I'm, I, I think that's something that Airtask has been doing. Uh, Joel, I don't know whether that's correct and you can share any stories around experimentation for learnings to inform the product roadmap. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The approach that, at least in my team, we take is to get those learnings as quick as possible and as easily as possible. So things like uh, running surveys, we, we do them a little bit to kind of validate a high-level idea. But again, it's, um, it's that same problem that Jess mentioned where it's, everyone's going to tell you they want a certain feature but how many people are actually going to use that feature. So we do tests that are completely fake sometimes. So one of the ones we did was around seeing whether someone would like to completely outsource their decision-making to the platform. And so we just added a button there that just said opt into auto assign and that type of thing. It didn't actually do anything when they actually, when they went through the flow, we popped up a nice message to let them down easy that said, Oh, sorry, this feature is coming to your area soon. And that really gave us the learnings for that, that, yeah, people actually want this thing. And if we had built that as a proper feature, then it would have taken us months and months and months to get that. Just explain that feature a bit more. So the machine decides who does the job or how, how did it work? Yeah. So, um, so this isn't actually built or anything. But, no, no, 100%. Um, but I'm just wondering, like, how far down the thinking process do you go until you go, let's just do a painted door test? Like, do yeah. they actually go and conceptualize it to a detail around, well, this is what it would do and this is how it work. Or do you just go, what if we just let people do that? And then you just go and test that. Does Look, that make sense? I, like yeah, how yeah, much yeah. time do you spend until you go, let's just go smoke test that. So it kind of, it starts off as that, like what, what about this crazy thing that we could do? Um, and then personally we will work myself and my designer will work through the, an actual feature, like how it would look like in the real world, the full blown thing what we'd like to um, and this is with all our experiments so we go like full full ball on that we say how the hell can how sorry how big can this thing be and then we bring it back from there to like to really strip it back to to test like something basic the smallest thing possible that's just going to validate that idea um yeah. and so with that one we went yeah like we went multiple um routes we could have we said we could have done a, a a solution where someone is allowed to choose criteria and then based on that criteria someone could get selected the other route we went was someone does doesn't have to do anything they just say i just want someone that's good and then machine learning just picks someone that based on that person's characteristics and the taskers would be a good match so you you basically machine learning how lazy human beings can be yeah, pretty much. Excellent. Isn't that what machine learning is for? That's, <laughs> that's exactly right. It's you know, like it's yeah, being created. <laughs> exactly. Have you guys seen on booking.com underneath the search button, there's a little uh, box that says I'm traveling for business. You can tick it. Have you guys seen that? 
Doesn't no, that doesn't. just increase my prices? No, it doesn't do anything. It's just for them to collect data around how many people are using booking for business travel <laughs> so they can then go up and do it. I just, I love some of these ways that people use testing within experimentation. And a lot of it is around ID validation. And the thing I've always wondered is how much time do you spend on coming up with these ideas? Do you go out and qualitative research and validate and then go before I go into build, I do it? Or do you just go, hey, crazy idea why don't we just let the machine pick for them and just put a button and test that? I've always wondered like how far, Jess, do you guys, is there a rationale in how you guys do it? Or do you just go, fuck it, let's put a button with a call to action on it and test it? So ours is definitely around helping the business work on things of the most value first. Yeah. So we use it from a perspective of let's understand the appetite of our customers or yep. prospective customers in utilizing this tool before we go down that rabbit hole of what it could look like because yeah. things could either be really basic or they could be really complex. Yeah. So uh, just having that start of, well, what is the value of getting this, this right, getting this right? Um, how many people are going to be interested and in wanting to use it? And then we kind of go from there. And do you look at it from like a, a like, how do you do it? Is it more like a data study where you go, look, we've got uh, X many customers not doing blah. We think if we added that, let's just say hypothetically 10% engaged with it. This is the kind of revenue we get. Do you go down that pathway of validating or is it more around how, how, would, how long would it take to build and how valuable do you think it would be? Like, how do you figure out value in that, in that equation? Yeah, so probably the first uh, example that you gave. Yep. So uh, we te put tested, uh, had a painted door for a new tool in our online services and it had about 12% uh, of people interacting with it. So the appetite was there compared to other tools that were only getting like 4 or 5% interest. Yep. So that's what kind of drove the value of that, knowing that this was a tool that our customers were interested in. We had failure demand in the back end of a lot of simple simple changes that were going and being dealt with from a call center perspective so there is like yeah. the value of removing some of those calls from the contact center and that's how we would then develop i guess a business case to yeah. say that well this is a um, tool that should be developed before all these other tools that we have have unknown value Rich, I'm really keen to hear, like in some of the customers you go and talk to, where do they begin? Do they start with a validation need state or do they start with more of a like a product ideation like need state or like I'm not the right, I don't know what the right language is. It's like we're, we're releasing all these features. We just want to make sure it doesn't screw up what we're doing. So, uh, so actually this is a like risk mitigation uh, testing, if that uh, makes sense. So I've been, I've been trying to figure this out because as a business, we need to go out and find new customers. And if we understand that, where are you most likely to begin? Then that makes our efforts yeah, more, more focused, right? We're yeah. experimenting with our approach to market, of course. Mm. Um, <laughs> I've actually, I've actually found, I've asked a, a large number of customers, where did this begin? Was it engineering saying, um, I'd like to release more safely and use feature flagging and then product says, can I get some data back on that? It, it doesn't seem to be that. Yeah. Um, the second thought I'd had was it might be product teams saying, I want to understand the value of the features that I'm building I, or I want to validate the ideas. Um, it is to a certain extent that there are some teams that do that, but it's not super widespread where I'm actually finding there is a larger amount of drive is coming from data science teams. Mm. 
that organizations have priorities of being more data driven. They've got data science teams that are doing very complex modeling of their businesses. But those same teams are then looking at product and saying, I'd like our decisions to be made on data. How can we do this? And that's when experimentation then gets driven into the business. Product teams start using it. Engineers have to do feature flagging really to make it work. But it was initiated by data science. So you, the data scientists guys, what are the data science guys running experiments or they're running experiments to collect that data? The data science guys are saying, we want our product decisions, our roadmap to be yeah. informed by data, which makes right. sense because that's their job but they don't have the data for it. Experimentation is how you create that data. So it's that so, missing data piece that they don't have that they yeah. put back into their business models. And it's so easy to do. Right. So add, add, like to split the traffic and have had the feature, didn't have the feature and then measure it. That's not a yeah. complex concept. Yeah. Obviously it is more complex than that. But from that perspective, it's just a request to say, we'd like some data back on how this feature performed and that yeah. will help inform our future roadmap. That's uh, interesting. There was actually quite a nice um, phrase. You said you were looking for the words. So the phrase was a cycle of feature delivery, testing and analysis generates insights that power the next phase of product innovation. It's a feedback loop that results in better code, more productive teams, happier customers and rapid growth for the company. Feature analysis and what? Feature delivery testing and analysis you're still going to build a feature but just add a testing component to it so you understand the impact of that feature and yeah. then with that understanding that then fuels your product innovation that's interesting because like the way the way we work with a lot of clients is there's there's three angles right when we do it is is in product design is we're validating a new concept that we're uxing we're safeguarding the environment from a new feature that we're about to release or and this is a conversation I had yesterday is we had a, a developer in the room who was like, I'm just going to build it. And I was like, well, let me test different formats. So you build the right one rather than go off and just build one and then figure out it doesn't work. So that's kind of where the three buckets that I, I see coming up a lot. But that figure out it doesn't work. That's easy to say. But if you're not testing your features, if you're not isolating the impact of that feature and observing customer behavior, how do you yeah. know whether it worked or not? Like yeah, uh, Je Jess or Joel, have you guys ever launched a feature that didn't have a test associated with it? Metrics have moved and you didn't know whether the metrics were moving because of the feature or because of some other external factor. That's a loaded question. They can't answer yes. Okay. We've definitely had that. <laughs> if I think back to when we were doing our, um, when we started off and we we're doing the landing pages, we had the whole, the growth team as we set it up was, like focus on so many different things. Um, one of them was SEO. And so we were having all this new type of traffic coming in and we had just cut our paid marketing and we were also running experiments on the pages where we were getting all this traffic to. So it was really difficult to say like, oh, this experiment that we've run on this landing page actually had that impact because the traffic was, so, was changing so quickly because we were getting new types of, new types of users on there, new types of landing pages. Like we were just spinning them up constantly. So it was really hard to kind of isolate that to this is due to this experiment or this change we've made. Can I ask guys, you talked about, and Joel, you said when you started in the funnel, did you find it hard to get the stats sick? Cause the volumes or did you, did you have enough volume to get the statistics significance every time? 
Uh, yeah, so at the start, it was um, quite difficult because we didn't have the traffic. Mm. Um, and I think we were thinking quite small at the start. Yeah. Uh, so that was something we learned uh, pretty quickly. Like the smaller the traffic, the bigger the change. change yeah. Um, and then we kind of, so then we sorted that out on the landing page. As soon as we went into the product, um, like deep into the funnels, we had that same problem again. As a team, we really took the approach of, let's make this thing huge. Let's make this yeah. experiment so different um, than what we've currently got so we can really validate whether it's going to have the impact. Because but that poses problems too though, right? Because you got like, let's say you're on a page, which is a form, right? There's only so much you can do because there's a lot of business rules driving those forms. And so like, what do you do in those instances? Do you just go leave the form, let's move on to something else? Sometimes, yeah. Some Sometimes like, um, so we... I kind of build a roadmap that's running experiments in multiple places. So we can have, if we've got something like that, like a a form or something that's going to take like at least a month to hit significance. We just let that run, just let it tick over in the background and then just go on to another place where we know that we're going to probably hit significance quicker. And do you exclude audiences from those? Let's say you got an experiment in one section. Do you like make sure that they're so separated from each other so you don't have to exclude audiences or do you exclude audiences and take that into an account? Um, this is something we haven't been great at in the past. Um, it's, I think we, uh, we did try it once. We kind of screwed it up and had some like crazy results. So then we just stopped excluding. Um, in the end, we actually, um, it's a plug for Richard and his team. We actually, um, spoke to those guys when we wanted to do this to make sure we were doing it right. Um, and they helped us set up the, some exclusion groups and stuff like that because it was quite confusing for us um, when we needed to and when we didn't need to. There's a plug. If you're not on Optimizely, I think <laughs> it's not the technology, it's the expertise around the technology. <laughs> Still a plug for Optimizely. Whatever you, however you want to frame it. Jess, did you, did you have the same? Like, you, did you find like when you got into the product, because I, I can imagine like, you know, when you're doing health insurance, there's a lot of factors that go into that price being generated. Did you avoid those things up front and then get to it because your state has an impact, your age has an impact? Like there's a lot of rules that drive that pricing engine. We haven't gone as granular into things that inform your price. We have more so looked at, yeah, bigger changes to start with. I think we, similar to Joel, we've had to divvy up our different parts of our funnel and devices as well so they can kind of limit the traffic that we have and as we've got a very kind of strong drop-offs throughout the funnel so by the time you get to our join form it's it's uh, not as uh as many people have started right so yeah so yeah it's kind of a balancing act i think we've definitely gone down the paths of testing things and not being able to say that something is the reason something specific is the reason for why we're seeing the impact of the changes but i think we've definitely got better at that over time and we definitely have a testing first um, mentality specifically around our um, customer facing purchase funnel so yeah i think there's there's different areas that can impact it, but we've worked with Optimizely as well to kind of structure it so that um, the metrics that we care about for landing pages are very much around, you know, the purpose that we're doing the experiment for. So 
yeah. for instance, a landing page, you just want to get them into the quote funnel. So it's not as much around what they're doing in the quote funnel so that we can then, you know, do other experiments in the quote yeah. funnel. And how much of your, I mean, like we've talked a lot about, you know, getting someone through a, a funnel, right? Logged in state. How much of it is around tension uh, and churn management and how much is around about task? So, you know, a task is like, I want to book for air task would be, I want to book a, a, you know, a chippy coming over and doing something. And so it's that funnel, but how much do you guys do around, Hey, there's dormancy. Let's do tests around. How do we get customers who've been dormant for a while back in and engaged and features that would mean that they don't go dormant, like, you know, automated reminders or whatever it might be. So our experimentation program has definitely been focused on the sales side yep. for quite some time. There is, uh, appetite and a growing backlog for how we can approach the member Members. side of yeah. you know reaching out and seeing value in, in their health insurance yeah uh, but yeah we haven't kicked that off as yet it's yeah. really been around oh, what we've achieved is yeah. being able to say well this is the value in experimentation in helping us decide what to build, what to spend our development resource that we know is quite precious yeah. um, so that we can get the most value out of, out of building things um, yeah. into production. So that mindset has been built on the sales side and now it's something that we're looking to sell into the member side. Yeah, we've started getting, you know, we work with a health fund as well. We've started getting into whole churn management because it's such a, it, the category is so drive new customers but it's such a, um, people switch providers so quickly. Absolutely. And that churn management, is that the same for you, Joel? Like, do you guys, are you guys very focused on that? Let's get them activated. But at one point you just stop worrying about them because they're active or do you have like a churn management experimentation program? Yeah, so we have uh, traditionally always focused on either acquisition or activation. The, sorry, we do have a, a team, a small team, that is focused on messaging in general. So messaging being emails, push notifications, text messages. Yep. And those guys kind of sit within our team half and half. Yep. So they run experiments on um, just retention and kind of resurrection for users that have churned. Rich, do you find that's a common theme as well? Like I, I don't, it's very rare that I've gotten a brief and I recently we have where we're looking at churn management. Do you see that commonly in the market or do you think it's still very much an acquisition and activation led program of work when it comes to products and product design and features? Definitely the latter right now, but yeah. we are seeing that shift. And I think that might've actually been one of my predictions last episode. Um, as we've definitely talked about it before, the shift into retention, the shift into um, how do you deal with your existing customers rather than the sales process? Uh, the challenges that we've seen is that those, um, the product teams that handle existing customers, like the core product teams, they've um, not necessarily come from the same mindset of marketers and growth teams, which are experimentation seems to fit really nicely with the way that they've worked. I don't know whether product teams have necessarily thought this way before. So it's a bit of an education process. But um, it seems like both Jess and Joel have talked about you're building trust and um, awareness in the business of the power of this tactic. And it seems that that is building a groundswell. Yeah. 
I find that it's easy for us to show the value of a sale. So being able to say this is an acquisition is worth X dollars. It's harder for us to navigate how much a churn uh, experiment is impacting the overall retention rate of a member. And I think that's, that data is what's missing in being able to say, like to prove out experimentation in a member area is much more difficult because you don't have precise revenue dollars that you can attach to it. And I think more and more we're getting better at building out that view from a member perspective to be able to say, all right, well, this is the value that we can put in for you guys. That's a really interesting comment, Jess. Um, We actually have a story around that. The Wall Street Journal did a lot of experimentation on the acquisition funnel from the moment that you click view plans to the moment that you swipe your credit card. But then they pivoted to retention. So a year later, does someone renew? Uh, That came from the data science team. They analyzed the actions that subscribers take during the course of a year to isolate what are the behaviors that most likely lead to retention. And then the experimentation program focused on how do we get users to take those actions while they're subscribers. That's what we've done. That's exactly what we've done. We focused on the behaviors that drive retention because it took us ages as well. We were like, how do we prove non-churn? Because there's so many other factors. So that's what we did as well. The big analysis around what are the behaviors and then what are the baselines and then how do we increase those? So yeah, we're we're the same in terms of we're looking at what are some of the behaviors that keep someone with us for longer. I think now that we've got to a... I would like to say a humming experimentation flow for the sales side. There's more and more conversation around, well, yes, we can get as many sales as we want through the door using kind of strict CRO, but what is that actually doing for the customers once they have come on board? And then what are some of the behaviors that we can kind of target and, you know, utilize and see value in? Yep. I think the one thing we can all take from this is that Rich can tell the future. <laughs> Richard Thanks, Taylor man. is Nostradamus. Um, but I would, I would like to ask a question of both of you guys um, for our listeners, because if they were listening live, I'm sure this would be one of the questions they ask. It's all great in Rich theory prediction. to say, let's do this testing. But in practice, how much more difficult is it? How much more resource does it take than strict CRO on landing pages? Testing within a product? Yeah. Let me just clarify. That was how much more resource does it take to test within a product versus... Yeah, I I imagine there'd be some hesitation. I like the idea, but I don't understand how much work will go into this and if the investment profile is different. Resources, time, blah, 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 right? Yeah, yeah. This is something that we get asked quite a lot from from leadership. Um, It's like you guys have these it sorry this is jumping a bit ahead but you guys have these learnings what are you going to do with them um and how do you balance up uh getting new learnings running new experiments with productionizing the successful ones um but yeah it is i would say um it can be it can blow out really big if you let it um it's kind of um you've got to have the right mindset for the team um, when you're approaching these types of things to say it's not going to be perfect and you've got to accept that when you're testing something, it's not going to be perfect. It's just got to get you the answers that you want. Users are going to see it for one, maybe two weeks and then 
they will never see it again in that state. You've got to build it properly. However, yeah, if you do, if you don't go into it with that mindset, then you can just start um, spending weeks and weeks and months on building features, which probably will never see the light of day. Um, so for us, yeah, we definitely just kind of take that real lean approach. Like what's the quickest way to get the answer and, and how do we make sure that it doesn't break someone's experience completely, but, but it's not a completely polished product. I think, I think a real fundamental job is um, something you haven't stated. And it's kind of bigging you up is that I think it's the program manager or the strategist, whatever you want to call them. They have to know how to design the test in a way that allows them in a lean way to get the answer and pivot really quickly. And I think the individual who's designing that experiment is pivotal, pivotal to how you go about doing this because it can very easily, you can get developers and designers, people can fall into a rabbit hole when you're conceptualizing a new way something's going to work. So I think that program manager role is absolutely critical. Yeah, definitely. It's um, like designers love to go off and build something beautiful. Yeah. Engineers love to go off and build something that uh, is scalable. And yeah. the product manager has to be the one that says, no, th this is what we're testing. This is what the user wants or this is what the business wants to find out. Um, yeah. And we can do all that stuff later on when we get the answer. Yeah. I've got to wrap up, but Jess, you're smiling because I feel like you've got something to throw in here. Oh, no, I just, I just agree. I, you can go down a rabbit hole of what an experiment could be and how many different points in the flow it could touch. Um, so, yeah, definitely need to have that somebody saying let's put some bookends on this yeah, and this 100%. is actually how we're going to get the learning that we need for this. And we can yeah. kind of iterate on that and build out a series of experiments to test those concepts. And assuming you do that well is then the message. It is not drastically harder than conversion rate optimization, client side testing, that as long as you keep bounds on what you're testing, it's, it's not significantly different. I would say not. Yeah, yeah I, I agree. I think it's, it's like anything. You can make anything big or small. So look, with that, I'm going to take a short break. We've got to do a wrap. I've got an announcement to make and then thank everybody. So let's go to a break. And we're back again and I have got a very, very exciting announcement. So I've been all over the world going to experimentation summits and Opticon's one of the ones I always visit. I've gone to Conversion Jam, CXL Live and a whole bunch of this stuff. And recently I started thinking, why doesn't Australia have one and I'm sick of getting on a plane? So with that, we decided to set up our own experimentation summit and uh, it's called Experimental. Now I know some of the guys don't love the name, but I still think it's great. It's called Experimental and what we're doing is launching a yearly summit that's dedicated to everything experimentation, personalization, CRO, um, it'll be down in Woolloomooloo at the uh, Volo Hotel. We've got a, an amazing lineup of speakers. Keynote will be um, Juice, who is the head of experimentation for Spotify. We've also got speaking leaders that have spoken at majority of these conferences that I go to overseas. So we've got Chris Gower coming from the US. We've got Andre coming from Germany. John from Conversionista coming uh, across. And then we've got local talent. And I asked Joel prior to the show, would you be open to speaking? And he said, go Joel. Yeah, he sure. said yes. 
uh, we've also got the guys from HCF, P&O, Fast, Ray of other people in it, and a bunch of really great sponsors on as well. So I really, we're going to put the website up next week, start doing ticket sales. So I'd love, if you're interested in the category and you want to learn, please come along. It's going to be a jam-packed full day of everything to do with this space. So please come. Okay. With that, I want to thank everyone. Joel, thank you so much, mate, for taking the time to be part uh, of one of our guests on the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's been really fun. Not at all. And like always, big love and thanks to my two awesome co-hosts, Rich, thank you, and Jess, thank you. So you've been listening to the New Republic podcast. Like always, if you have any comments or thoughts at the bottom of your podcast that you're listening to you'll have a little link to us if you've got questions or comments that you want to make please do make sure you share us with your friends and your loved ones and anyone interested in this category and again see you on episode eight and make sure you look out for experimental talk soon